Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm Tyler Smith. I'm David Bass. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. Sacre bleu. You're back. <laughs> I am I, I literally It's the only just, French I know. I am just back yeah. from, from my trip to Paris. I was supposed to be back a day and a half ago. I told you and I'm not going to uh, bore the listeners with all of the uh, flight home uh, disasters, but uh, I had a disastrous flight home mm-hmm. that um, it, w- it might actually take me a couple days to go like, oh yeah, I had a blast in Paris. Yeah. Because right now I'm just like the last day and a half where it was just awful. But it was, uh, we had a great, great trip to 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 Paris. Um, I'm trying to think what movie related stuff. I, well, I went to the movies. Okay, what'd you see? Um, we went to two movies. Okay. We went to uh, Hustlers, or right. as it's called, it was called there, Queens. Huh. Uh, hmm, I don't know if I guess that word doesn't translate. I don't know. Hmm. It's called the Queens. Uh, so we went and saw because we like we got the sort of first run like big multiplex. It's a really nice theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, MK2 Bibliotheque is the name of the theater we went nice. to. Um, and then we also went to a sort of a rep art house uh, screening of um, Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette. It's oh. like kind of fitting to go see Marie yeah. Antoinette. Um, and uh, they were both a blast. And then the other movie, were they were they subtitled? Yeah, in both French? were subtitled. Okay. Uh, although the the hustlers or queens, have you seen it yet? Have you seen no, hustlers? not yet. So there's like at the beginning, it's like based on a true story, and then there's at the end, there's like you know such and such person spent so much time in jail or whatever. Right. All that text was in French. Oh, okay. Um, so I was able to kind of piece together like I think they did four years. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I guess all the number four. Anyway, uh, and then yeah, uh, Marie Antoinette was entirely. Um, subtitled and then also movie that I made a point of going to the Rue de Guerre and seeing uh, Agnes Varda's oh, house nice. and okay. then literally around the corner from where Agnes Varda lived uh, is the Montparnasse Cemetery which is where she's buried she and Jack Demi are buried mm-hmm. so, his, so is uh, Eric Romare and so yeah. is Jean Seberg and so is Henri Langlois and a lot of non-movie people uh, too Jean-Paul Sartre is buried oh, there okay. uh, Samuel Beckett here's the thing we went to Samuel Beckett's grave and on the grave, someone had left a copy of the play Beckett, which is not That's spelled the same and not by him. Yeah. And it was written before his time, I think. Yeah. And I was like, was this an, an idiot or is this like a bad joke? Ironically, they also had a copy of the idiot uh, right <laughs> next to it. Um, uh, oh, also, Sir Ga- Serge uh, Gainsbourg, Gainsbourg uh, oh, yeah. is buried there. Um, there's a lot of, a whole lot of famous, famous people, uh, buried in the cemetery. And, uh, yeah, so we, that was our, our, our big movie, uh, non movie seeing movie day was mm-hmm. to go pay tribute to Anya Svarta. That's uh, the, you got to look in that, your face. That Beckett thing is so dumb. Like, yeah, it, clearly they weren't. It's okay. Samuel Beckett was a playwright. Uh-huh. Yes. If Beckett you're, if is you're a play. Getting, Beckett is a play. If you have access to the play Beckett, undoubtedly you have access to any of Samuel Beckett's plays. Did they think that he wrote a play about himself? Or did someone else wrote a play about him? Sure. I guess, and yeah. did not bother opening well, my question it is, once. Did they go to a bookstore and buy a copy of Beckett, the play, yeah. to bring to the Montparnasse Cemetery and leave it on Samuel Beckett's grape. Where did the, where, uh, that's what it would have to be, right? Unless they happen to have it with them? 
But you know what? If they had it with them, if they happened to, that means they were probably reading it. And right. if they read yeah. it, they'd be like, oh, this isn't the same guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's uh, very. I don't know. There was a. Uh, or did they think, sorry, I'm not here fine. yet. Uh, yeah, not here yet. Uh, okay. Did they think that Beckett wrote a play called Jean Ennui? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the other. <laughs> yeah, but then also spelled his name. Yeah. That's the French spelling with the uh, one T. That um, is a strange. They just wanted something. They want. I want to put something with the word there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I seem to recall uh, when I was a kid in my uh, and I for I gave I gave it a go collecting baseball cards. Uh, Beckett was like the name of the uh, the price guide, I believe. Oh, sure. So you okay. know, maybe somebody is maybe somebody could leave that on there as well. Sure. Sure. But that's very strange. Um, maybe a DVD copy of season one of Becker. Sure, and they just and they just kind of yeah, and they yeah. just kind of change the T to put <laughs> an R to a T. All right, all right. So yeah, I had a lot, a lot of fun in in Paris. I'm sure I did other movie related stuff. Uh, Special thanks right to now. Josh and guest uh, Tyler Stracely for filling in. Yes, thank you. It takes two people to fill David Back's shoes. That's what I say. I say that too. Yeah. So I know, um, I know it's off putting when you say it. Well, I want to get to our guest and our topic. Um, as I'm sure you've noticed from the spooky theme song mm-hmm. that I am Bill yeah. and Ted style <laughs> telling myself to remember uh, to add to the episode. And then um, every year I feel I try to remind myself to come up to do a different theme. Oh, OK. Because um, we had one theme for a while and then I switched it to the current one. Uh, and it's been that for a few years and every year it's like, ah, we've had this one for too long. I should remember. Uh, and then the week comes when we record this episode. I'm like, well, guess, guess it's for next year. You know what I'm going to do right now? What's that? This is a little uh, uh, callback to those who listened to our uh uh, uh, religious horror commentaries. You'll know about my penchant for using Siri to set reminders. Sure. So, Siri on Sunday afternoon, remind me to use the spooky music. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's it. right. I forgot that your your Siri is British. No, she's Australian. Australian. Uh, that's the whole point. Okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, so as you can tell, this is a spooky episode. But you know what's really scary is how low the prices are and how good the quality is over at TweakedAudio.com. Uh, TweakedAudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Although I'm kind of lying today because I've been in transit all day. But I did listen to some music. Mm-hmm. Uh, this afternoon as I was getting ready to come over here. Um, I listened to some new songs off of Brittany Howard's uh, solo album. Brittany Howard from the Alabama Shakes uh, has a solo album. It's very, very good. Uh, sounded great on my tweakedaudio.com uh, earbuds or whatever I happen to be listening to them on today. Quick question. Uh, Being a fan... Oh, good go. This is just going to be the worst thing. Being a fan of 1930s Del- uh, Delta Blues, as I am, uh-huh. um, I'm a fan of the band... The Mississippi Sheiks. Oh, yeah. Do you think the Alabama Sheiks is meant to be a? a oh, it very well might be. Yeah, I feel, I feel like it's too close for it not to be, right? Yeah, pro- you're probably right. Okay. Uh, I didn't know that. So um, anyway, sounds great on TweetDarty.com earbuds that are available at available that are they're available there at a low go. low price at TweetDarty.com. But if you use the offer code Pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low low price and no shipping charges. So please uh, go to TweetDarty.com and use the offer code Pretension. Okay. Tyler? Yes? I hate when you do that. I know. (laughs) That's why you do it. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. 
Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Why don't you introduce our guest? All right. Um, yeah, so, uh, David, when I think horror, more specifically the kind of like really specific horror that no one ever would be interested in, including you and me, um, uh, I think... Kyle Anderson, because he knows more about weird, goofy horror than anybody else. And so that's, I don't know why I'm insulting him. It's, it's obviously, it's done with, a, with affection here. <laughs> I know. It was. Uh, hey, guys, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. It was my idea. I'll, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll say that. No, it's Kyle Anderson from Nerdist.com, former host, co host of the classic horror cast. Correct. Right? Yeah. Uh, which, which is Jermaine Today's. A few months ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Six months ago, something like that. It was a while ago, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so today, Today, so first off, Kyle, how are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I just uh, speaking of horror, I went to the Stanley Hotel in Colorado. I saw that. Yes, that's very a lot exciting. Of fun. Took ghost tours and stuff. And, oh, cool! Uh, got to visit. It's smaller than I thought it was going to be, but it's beautiful up there. It was so cold in Colorado. It's what really? it's been. You know, in the 90s here. Oh yeah. Uh, and uh, it was 26 degrees like the whole time I was wow. in, in Colorado. It was in the mountains, of course. So I mean. Of course, I realize that when you are walking around the Stanley Hotel, there's no creepy music playing or anything like that. Right. But is it still, because you have an association with it, is it still creepy to walk around that place? Oh, for sure. And it is a weird, like, it's a weirdly laid out building kind okay. of thing. Like, there's a, a big main staircase. But once you get up there, you know, all the even numbered rooms are on one side and all the odd numbered rooms are on the other side. And to get to the next floor, there's staircases that are not like, it's not just one staircase that you just keep going. Oh, up. Okay. There's like different, you have to walk down and up hmm. a different staircase. It's, so it's weird. Um, I got hmm. to see the actual room two seventeen. Oh, you can, okay. anybody can stay in and mm-hmm. somebody was. And so on our ghost tour, um, somebody was in that room and like, opened the door but like the lights were all off but there was definitely people on the tour that were like freaked out I would do that if I were staying there of course especially when a tour every hour comes by and is like this is the actual room where Stephen King had a nightmare and thought about writing The Shining or whatever it's just like the door like creaks open and And if you're a black woman you're just you just get naked and open that door and just welcome people in and hug them yeah but we got to and like while we were listening to that right across like basically where we were standing there was a um uh, I don't know. It's like a, like a faucet, basically. That was the actual faucet that Stephen King's son, I believe, thought that the hose that was attached to it was a snake, hmm. and that's part of The Shining too. So that was kind of cool because I had just read The Shining fairly recently oh, too. Wow. So okay. that was neat, um, and uh, it was and I it was freezing. It was a very very cold day. Fun fact. I don't know if it's that fun. Um, I acknowledge The Shining as a really well done, interesting film. I have never been frightened by it. That's interesting. Like, I don't I, know why. I, some people, uh, last week we talked about it with Josh. Josh, who is, again, a self admitted chicken, yep. um, he finds the movie terrifying. I have ne- even when I saw it when I was a kid mm. and I didn't find it scary then. I don't find it scary now. I appreciate it now as a film, but 
I have never been frightened by I it. I think we mentioned this a little bit in, if you listen, if people at home listen to the uh, comment, the aforementioned religious horror commentaries, I mentioned that I never found the exorcist scary, mm-hmm. but because that one was built up, it was like, it was I built up within yeah. the same week when I was in college, I watched the exorcist and the shining and the shining freaked me right out. Mm-hmm. Whereas the exorcist I thought was very boring. I think I'm realizing that I wasn't scared by movies very much when I was a kid. I think maybe because I didn't like, think about my death very often (laughs) now that I'm uh, approaching middle age or realistic realistically I probably am about middle age I'm probably about halfway there right Uh, yeah (laughs) Um, that's about right uh uh, now I do get much much more scared because I think we this is what we talked about on the religious horror commentaries which if you're a Patreon subscriber are available to you right now or you can buy them uh, for three bucks a piece or ten bucks for the full set. Oh, no, that's a steal. Uh, um, <laughs> Thank you, Kyle. Uh, uh, I think I, I said the same thing about The Exorcist that I wasn't scared of it as a yeah. kid and I am now but, and it's probably the same thing with The Shining. Now I find The Shining uh, uh, pretty, pretty scary. I think especially the um, the sort of uh, the the less explained things are in The Shining, the more I'm scared by them. Like the guy with the uh, with the with the dog dog yeah. head, or whatever, which I know is, has more of an explanation in the novel, yeah. which I read a long time ago, um, but don't remember that much. But little things like like that, just like oh, that's fucked up, and not, yeah. that scares me now. <laughs> it's true. Do do you, do either of you do you find? Because there are there are two different threats in the movie. I mean, obviously there are many, but. Speaking in a larger sense, there's the supernatural threat, and then there's the very real physical threat of of Jack. Yeah, uh, it sounds to me in, in David's case that like the supernatural threat, the unexplained stuff, is what's scary. But then, do you find anything Nicholson related to be frightening? Well, I certainly don't. Well, I mean, I think there's there's an argument certainly, and I think a lot of people that at the time the the movie got a lot of Razzie Award nominations. Yeah, um, that, is that true? Yeah, that he got it was over the top. Like it's sure. it's it's it is a to a pitch that is not realistic. And so I think at a certain point, if it's like, um, you could think that that's just silly, and mm-hmm. and therefore he's like a. A clown, basically, as opposed yeah. to being actually scary. But if you actually think about, like, this is a husband and father, and they have no, there is no one else around, right? And he is going completely nuts. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I find that. I mean, I find that pretty scary. I mean, and it's all, especially because, like, the supernatural threats, which again is not really explained, those are only affecting Danny because he has the shining. Sure, you know, but they're affecting Jack because he's also has it but has been drinking for such a long time that it's like buried within him or whatever and you know it's interesting i don't think i because i've never read the book uh i saw the miniseries which is flawed but definitely more in depth as from an that's basically explanation okay yeah uh and i don't think i don't think even in the i don't think in the miniseries they i don't think they mention that jack has the shining uh i think they just see that the like his drinking makes him more susceptible yes um yeah i think it, it's it's never like fully said oh he definitely has the shining but it's right. like um there's enough in there where it's like yeah. you know dick halloran says like everybody you know a lot of people shine a little bit sure um and then mm-hmm. when you get older and also there's this whole thing in the book where like jack's father was an abusive asshole right um so like even if Jack had the shining as a kid, you're more susceptible to it as a kid. Like the just constant, um, bad vibes that in his home life were Mm -hmm. actually like 
you know, tamping it down and mm-hmm. making all this other stuff. It, the, the book is quite good. I, w- I would highly recommend the book. Are you looking forward to, is it Mr. Sleep? Dr. Sleep. Dr. Sleep. Sleep. Oh, he went to, I forgot he went to, you know, got yeah. his PhD. Uh, I've already seen it, but I'm not. Yeah, oh, you've, say, oh, oh, okay. sorry there. All right. Um, yeah. Did you read the book? I did. Is I the, finished the book mere hours before I saw the film. Okay. Well, we'll talk about the book then. Yeah. Uh, how is the, how is the book? The book is completely different. It's it's a it's a much more sprawling kind of thing. And okay. It's it's, um, it's kind of just about people with The Shining. I mean, yeah. and adult Dan Torrance is is one of them. But he's he's it's if The Shining is about succumbing to kind of your vice, kind of you know mm. if out, being uh, overtaken by alcoholism, but then Doctor Sleep is about overcoming that because it's he's in recovery, or uh, you know he goes to AA meetings and stuff like that. When did he write the book? Uh, well, every day he writes the book. That's that's <laughs> Costello. Um, uh, <laughs> I think 2013 is when it came out, which is interesting because. Uh, when you think about it, like what you're talking about is almost like mutants. It's like superheroes. It, it is. Ve- it is a very superhero-y type of thing, especially because there's a girl who is who's like the third lead, basically of the mm-hmm. um, who Danny kind of talks to telepathically, and she is the most powerful shiner yeah. in the world, or whatever. <laughs> and they say, "Look at that shiner." Yeah, um, that's interesting because it's just it's always get your fucking shine box. <laughs> <laughs> it just it makes you wonder if. Uh, what inspires certain artists like yeah. and i do wonder if whether he was consciously aware of it, of it or not but like i wonder if stephen king just looked at who's clearly interested in like even the more mainstream pop culture like if he was looking at superhero movies and just kind of thought i should tell a story about pe-. like i've written a book about people with a power right. and what would a, what would a community of that look like yeah and you also see maybe the coolest part of, of that book is that there's the, the bad version of that, which is these, these really old ancient people called the true knot who are basically vagabond, like gypsy people mm-hmm. who, uh, like vampires, like suck the shining out of people mm. and they, they do it by like causing horrible physical pain to them and then killing them. And, uh, yeah, basically like living for hundreds of years, um, wow. looking this it's it gets pretty gruesome and uh, yeah um, we didn't come here to talk about The Shining we but are, real actually. quick yeah. speaking of things inspired by The Shining have either of you ever heard of a musical a music project called The Caretaker no it's you know the music from The Shining where it's like the sort of decaying old big band mm, ballad yeah. there's a guy he has other musical projects too but he has this ongoing or it was ongoing for a few years and he did multiple like albums of just music like that oh that's uh, awesome inspired by that it's called The Caretaker it's really really awesome stuff oh, that sounds great uh, that up. Yeah, yeah you should definitely look that that's what I was on my phone a second ago because I forgot the name of it um, but yeah uh well, no, we came here to talk about uh, a type of horror, or is it, that uh, <laughs> Tyler and I are not as well versed in? Because um, we, talk, yeah, after we recorded two weeks ago, I was about to head off to to, uh, to Paris, and and we realized like, oh, when I come back, it's going to be our Halloween episode. It kind of snuck up on, on us. We were like, we need to find something to talk about, and I was like, how about we find someone who knows more about something that we do? <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I asked Kyle to join us to talk about Jallo. Yes, and can you? define this is what the episode's going to be so don't try to you know have to rush through it but what is giallo and what we want to figure out is how does it and does it not overlap with horror okay well first of all what i'm going to ask you guys what what do you what sort of knowledge do you have about giallo that's interesting because 
at, be, just being a film person, you know, you just come to know a lot around something yeah. um, without maybe knowing the thing itself. Uh, another example, and one that I feel like we could we could have you on in the future to talk about Hammer Horror as well. Sure. Um, in fact, I would love to do that. Um, have we done that already, or has that no. just been bouncing around? I think yeah. we talked about it once yeah, uh, as, as an episode. But, um, yeah, so, like, Giallo, uh, I was like, oh, I think I know what that is. It's, it's like, well, it's Italian. Right. It sounds delicious. <laughs> um, but also... There's always room for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is going well. Yeah, um, yes. But uh, I think of it as highly stylized, mm-hmm. uh, almost to the point of camp, uh, but also deadly serious at the same time. Like the style is kind of over the top, but the the tone is dramatic, maybe to the point of melodramatic, maybe even a little bit a little bit operatic, even if it's a smaller story or a bigger story. Um, and I think of heightened emotions. I just think of a very a very heightened thing. Yeah, a very heightened tone as expressed through style. Interesting, David. <laughs> I, I I guess I, when I was interested i think when i was when i was a budding film uh uh fan i just thought jello was like oh like italian horror movies are jello and then i started watching dario argento movies or like no that's a bad example like mario bava movies and realizing like and but they don't always come up on the lists like some like which mario bava movies are jello so i think that's where i start to get confused that's why it's like i don't really understand what it is okay so this is a good place for us to start because i think that that is a lot of people just assume italian horror is a giallo which is which is not the case um so giallo literally means yellow that it's the italian word for yellow and the reason it is called that is because there was a there's a publishing company called mondadori which in 1927 they started publishing um american or translations of american and english um uh, mystery novel writers in, in, into Italian, and they were in yellow paperback, hmm. like kind of pulp novel things, um, and those were just called Mondadori Giallo, uh, as as like and uh, you know like the 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 Mondadori books that are yellow are the ones that are this kind of like, okay. and so it'd be like Agatha Christie or Raymond Chandler or Ellery Queen or um, this British author Edgar Wallace, who I don't know that well, but we're going to, we're going to know him very well here in a moment. <laughs> um, and so those became inc- so popular throughout the, the 20th century that Jallo just became the word that means mystery stories. So okay. like, even though it is literally the word for yellow, like if you go to a, an Italian bookstore, there is a Jallo section and those are mystery novels. So basically that's, that's, are they that, still, are they still yellow? Yeah. A lot of them are. Yeah. Um, and, and what I think is really interesting is that now there are, like Italian mystery writers. Um, but back then it was literally only uh, English and American hmm. stories that were translated. So that's, that's kind of where that starts. It starts at, from the tradition of mystery stories, kind of like um, Agatha Christie is a good example of that, but that, and that's the, the literary thing. Um, the first kind of uh, film, I guess, movement we need to talk about is not Italian at all. It's German. Uh, in 1950, uh, between 1959 and 1972, Rialto film, uh, started doing a series of Edgar Wallace adaptations, um, that were so incredibly popular. These were black and white movies. They were kind of, 
um, you know, a little bit, uh, a little bit racy, but a lot uh, like kind of, they would use Gothic kind of visual tropes, but they were all kind of modern day set mystery stories. This is what I was going to ask about. You, you said, um, racy. I was going to say, are these particularly salacious? They were, are they indulgent? Um, they are a bit, because um, I guess I think of the word yellow. I think of like yellow journalism. I think right. of pulp, but it's not necessarily the same thing as, as as pulp. Like there's the way you're describing it. It sounds like there's more class to Jello than I than a lot of people assume. Yeah, I mean, yeah. in the the literary tradition of Jello, that is the case. Yeah, yeah, because you know you can't get much more kind of prim and proper than Agatha Christie or anything. Mm-hmm. You know, these were these were early 20th century writers, and even something like Raymond Chandler is a little low for them to, you know, to, to produce, but those were still super popular. So these German films were all Edgar Wallace. Like they loved Edgar Wallace in Germany. Has he written anything we would know? I don't know. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they did a bunch of these adaptations of Edgar Wallace novels. Um, and these were called, uh, because it's German criminal film, one word. Uh Um, and this got shortened to Krimi K R I M I. And so the German Krimi was the cycle of, I don't know what it was like, you know, 45 to 50 films or something like that in the span. And they just were just churning them out left and right. Um, and these would of course go to Italy and they would become super popular in Italy and they would do things like, um, like they would have a guy and I forget the name of the actor. I, I knew it at one point who, was the voice of Edgar Wallace. Edgar Wallace had long since died uh-huh. and was English. Um, but they would just be like, hello, everyone. I'm Edgar Wallace. And here is this, <laughs> this you know, mystery story. And they, they would have crazy titles or whatever, um, which is another thing that would kind of, um, uh, you know, bleed over into the jello. So these were super popular. And you said what years were these in? Fif- uh, between 59 and 72. And this is West Germany. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, and like Klaus Kinski's in a bunch of them. Um, people like um, the 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 big directors for this were uh, I wrote it down: uh, Horst Wendland, Alfred <laughs> Warner, and Harold Reinl. Um, I've never seen any of these these yeah. creamy films because they're a little hard to find. But Miley, well, definitely off topic. But uh, when I was in Germany last year in Berlin, I went to the Deutsches Kinematik Museum that's in Berlin. I guess there's a bigger one outside of Berlin, but the one that's in Berlin, and they have this one just on this wall. They have for every year that Germany was split they show you what was the highest grossing movie in West Germany and the highest grossing movie in East Germany. The East German movies, you've never heard of any of them. Uh-huh. And a huge amount of them are about Native Americans. And I was like, that's weird. But then I realized like, oh, these are all propaganda movies about how Americans are awful and murderous right. and greedy and how they destroyed the Native Americans. And oh, it's wow. crazy that there was like decades of East German movies about Native Americans that I've never seen. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, okay, so looking up uh, our Edgar Wallace, right? Yep. Um, the thing that he would uh, it's 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 always fun to see like how Wikipedia lays out information. Yeah. Because it's almost like you're reading along and it's sort of like teasing yep. things. And uh, so he was uh, in the early 30s. He was tapped to write uh, a gorilla picture for RKO. Oh yeah, which would then become uh, King Kong. Correct. So he wrote that, but he did not live to see its production. Yes. So he yeah, he had. He, I think he wrote like an early draft. Yes. Yeah. Um. So. 
these were, you know, coming over to other parts of Europe um, and Italy specifically. Now, Italy, of course, uh, was fascist for quite a long time. Same with uh, Germany, but Germany kind of got out of I mean, West Germany was its own thing um, Mm -hmm. and was able to make these movies. But Italy remained fascist or at least um, had the kind of um, rules in place of fascism for quite a long time. And so uh, uh, Italian film, the film industry was kind of going, you know, up and up and running. And there was the early days of kind of, um, you know, neorealism and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. But they were not making any fantastic films at all until the very first Italian horror movie was 1957 called E Vampiri or the vampires, which was directed by uh, Ricardo Freda. And it was kind of ghost directed by the cinematographer, Mario Bava, who is Mm. the, the, basically the godfather of, um, Italian horror. Uh, and then eventually he would start making his own kind of, uh, you know, step out and make his own movies, uh, usually gothic horror like Black Sunday yeah. um, in the early uh, late 50s early 60s he made other stuff like Hercules and the Haunted World um, and uh, Eric the Conqueror which are these peplum movies which were pretty popular at the time uh, 1963 is a, is a banner year because it was the very first Jallo film and it's mm-hmm. a black and white movie uh, which they almost across the board are not because uh, kind of lurid technicolor is part of mm-hmm. the kind of charm of Jalo movies. Uh, it's a Mario Bava movie. It's called The Girl Who Knew Too Much. It was released over here as Evil Eye, which is a. Oh, very, yeah, yeah. Have you seen this? Uh, yeah, I have the Blu ray because uh, was it Kino, Kino put it out like it maybe out, five yeah. years ago? Kino and uh, Arrow are like uh, invaluable resources for Jalo. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, just everyone at home. Um, so it's it it's an Italian movie. They They were it was made in Italy and I think it takes place in Italy as well. Um, but it's about an American woman who goes, uh, and witnesses a crime, a murder. Um, but she's been like drugged kind of, um, and, and wakes up and there's no evidence that the crime is committed. And so she's like, I know I saw something I need to figure out what happened. And so it's, she is literally the girl who knew too much. John Saxon is also in the movie. Hmm. It's very Hitchcockian. It's very, very Hitchcockian. Everything you just described. First off, it's called the girl who knew too much. Yeah. That idea of no one believing the one person is very Hitchcockian. It also, I was surprised, um, at the time, ha- another thing it has related uh, in common with Hitchcock is that there's a surprising amount of comedy in the Evil Eye. Yeah, which but, would, that is another thing that is that is very common in the Crimi film. Um, there were almost always this kind of weird kind of body, but also a little silly humor in them, and that that separates the Jallo in a lot of cases. Early Jallo, there's a little bit more comedy, like you know, yeah. over the top comedy. I think like at the beginning of the Eli, when she's on the plane to Rome, isn't there a thing where she's imagining where all the other passengers are yeah. thinking of her? It's like a very funny, yeah. And it's like right at the beginning of the movie, uh, and see, so this is what I was talking about being surprised. Uh, when I started to get into Mario Bava a little and realizing that I don't know what Jello is because I thought that it was horror, but his horror movies are, yeah. like you said, gothic. Yeah. And then this one that's considered Jello isn't really a horror movie at all, though it does have some suspense bordering on yes. horror, I would and, say. I, and, and that's the, the kind of thing, the the Jallo kind of heyday or whatever the, the, the breadth of Jallo really is between 63 when it starts with, uh, the girls who knew too much till about 78, maybe, um, there were a few that would go into the eighties and that was mostly Mario or, uh, Dario Argento continuing that, which I'll talk about him a lot in a minute. Mm-hmm. But, um, 1965 
is Mario Bava's second Jalo, which is called Blood and Black Lace, which is the very first um, body count movie. Basically, it's uh, the Italian title is Sedone per l'assassino, which means seven. Oh, no, excuse me, six women for the assassin or six women for the murderer. It's literally telling you right up front: six women are going to get murdered, <laughs> um, and it takes place in a in a. Um, a house of models, basically. There are high fashion models who all live in this big house. Oh, um, Cameron, like Derek Zoolander. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> basically, yeah. Uh, Cameron Mitchell's in the movie. Oh. Uh, um, and it's nice to know he started early. Yeah. With the. Uh, not to speak ill of these movies, but like that, that word lurid, I feel like is, yeah. is a good, and this one's yeah. specific. I mean, Mario Bava, I, I love Mario Bava. He's one of my favorite, um, directors now. And it's, it's because he was a cinematographer first and, and would go out of his way to make movies as cheaply as possible, but look great. Like, um, there's a funny story where, um, later on in the sixties, he, he did a movie for, uh, Dino De Laurentiis, um, uh, the original director of this big, you know, spy, uh, Danger Diabolic. If you've seen it, mm-hmm. it's a big, it's a comic book movie. Um, the the original director got fired, and De Laurentiis was like, "Mario, please come in, fix this movie for you. We have however much money three three million dollars or whatever." And he's like, "Okay," and he brought the movie in for like 700,000 <laughs> and, and Dino DiLorentis was like Mario thank you so much do you want to do another movie right now like we could just use the rest of the, mo- the money to make another movie and he goes nah I'm fine <laughs> I, he doesn't know he didn't know how to make mo- movies for that big a budget hmm. um, which I, I love that but I mean yeah. you can and, and his movies have this kind of like cheap but kind of well done quality to them a lot of them um, but yeah he's in- incredibly talented as a visual yeah. storyteller and, and, and his, his gothic and- his gothic movies are truly outstanding they're yeah. Um, Black Sunday, uh, Kill Baby Kill, which is a terrible title, but it's it's kind of it's a ghost, it's a haunted house movie. Goes Lynchy in at a certain point, really great. Um, and uh, but anyway, so uh, uh, Blood and Black Lace is Technicolor. It's got some really upsetting kind of murder scenes in it. One woman gets killed with like a like a, 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 a like a, a suit of armor, like uh, a fist with spikes on it. Uh, oh, she okay. gets punched in the head. Oh, uh, another woman gets like burned on a really, really hot lamp. Uh, another woman gets uh, drowned in a sink, but the camera's under, like, of course, in the way. It's really, it's, it's a, and 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 the the whodunit aspect is there. We don't know who the killer is because, uh, as would become very common with Jallo, it's a black clad person in a hat mm-hmm. and gloves. Um, that's almost like the go to kind of image from a Jallo, especially once you get to the seventies, is of the kind of black leather gloves mm-hmm. and a knife. Like that's okay. So I'm, I think I'm definitely seeing where the confusion or where people conflate Jallo and yeah. horror because Mario Bava is the godfather of Jallo and kind of the godfather of yeah. Italian horror He's at the same time. Like like um like what Jean Pierre Melville is to the French New Wave, like that's what Bava is to the okay. Jallo movie and also to Italian horror. They kind of intersect. So like Blood and Black Lace has horror, definite horror elements to it. Um but not all Jallo are horror movies and not all horror movies are Jallos. Like right, it, but sometimes it's a, they're both, but often they are neither. But it's both a whodunit and a slasher movie at the same time. That one is, yeah. The, but that, I see that that comes up, and we're way too early to get into Dario Argento. But I watched Opera recently, right. and that's a very similar thing. It's a whodunit yes. and a slasher movie. He often would kind of blur the line, and especially you know because they would eventually start reflecting what was happening in America, and the American slasher movie were huge in the eighties, and so like they would use the 
the kind of the narrative style of a Jalo, but the the visual style and the kind of like murder set pieces of of mm-hmm. a slasher movie. Um, do so. Do all Jalo movies have an element of like the macabre? Like even it, like a whodunit is different than a horror movie. Yeah, uh, but both of them feature kind of dark imagery and the and like murder and murder and death and that sort of thing um does all giallo have that even if it's not officially horror uh no um okay. there's so there's there's a really interesting kind of like split between giallo once you get once it's been established also in 1965 there's a movie that came out called libido um uh, which was written and directed by this guy ernesto gastaldi who only directed a few movies but he wrote like 40 Jallo, like, and he's, he'd written like over a hundred movies, a ton of spaghetti Westerns, a ton of action movies, a ton of Jallo. Like he basically was just like uh, a go-to writer of these, of these type of movies. And he wrote some of the best, uh, Jally ever made in my opinion, because, uh, Hitchcock obviously is a big touchstone with these movies, but he, was a big fan of uh, Henri Georges Clouseau's Le Diabolique. And mm-hmm. so a good many of his kind of have that same structure where you're not sure who is betraying who, who right. is actually in the conspiracy and stuff like that. So a ton of his movies um, around this time start coming out that are uh, of this ilk where it's, there's sort of gothic kind of not like old timey gothic, but like, you know, there's inheritance plots and like, you know, it's usually like wealthy people kind of like um, conspiring against each other and stuff like that. There's an often very low body counts. Hmm. Um, maybe, you know, one or two people. Usually there's a movie, um, which came out in 1968, which is a big, uh, kind of watershed after, um, blood and black lace. It's called the sweet body of Deborah, which was directed by Ramallah Guerreri. Um, and it, it, Brought over um, Carol Baker, who you might know from Baby Doll, um, the Kazan movie, right? Yeah, yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, who was this this blonde American star who went over to Italy in the late sixties and started making these these jellos, and uh, she made like seven of them in the you know in the early uh, late sixties, early seventies, and they were all basically about rich people who and she, her character is almost always like. Uh, kind of psychologically fragile and there's usually, you know, uh, people are out to get her or mm-hmm. out to get her money and stuff like that. And, and that is, that's a big kind of thing that happens in these, this one particular type of job. Um, the, the critic and author, um, uh, Michael McKenzie, who's a, who's a Scottish writer, uh, basically, put them in two different categories. There's the female centric Jallo and the male centric Jallo. The male centric ones are, are usually, uh, of the Argento mold, which are like, um, uh, body count, but usually more of a straightforward, like whodunit mystery kind mm-hmm. of thing. Whereas the female centric ones are usually like the plot happens to them as opposed to the, you know, s- the kind of amateur detective aspect, mm-hmm. which is, which is another major aspect of, of a Jallo. But like, um, and Gastaldi is as a writer wrote mostly um, the the kind of female centric ones. So um, yeah, the, the, which are like you know they're people trying to make this woman seem insane. Like I watched what did I watch? Uh, there's a filmmaker named uh, Umberto Lenzi who uh, all of these directors I'm going to mention directed a ton of movies 
a, a lot of them directed a ton of Jalo movies, but also a ton of other things. His first Jalo was 1969's Paranoia, which was uh, also called Orgasmo, which is great. Cool. <laughs> um, it's another Carol Baker movie where she basically starts having an affair with this kind of um, young, hip, you know, kind of roguish guy. And then his sister show, his sister shows up and then it's like, just kidding. It's not his sister. It's his lover. Now we're in like a three way kind of situation. <laughs> and now it's like, now we're just trying to make her Carol Baker's character go crazy so that they can take her money and stuff like that. And, and, and she's got one friend who is this older doctor character and stuff like that. And so it's all this thing. And like, there's no, like there's like one death in that movie, but it's all about somebody going kind of slowly crazy. So you're, I, I keep going back and forth on like, okay, I think I've got a handle on it. Cause when you were mentioning Mario Baba movies, um, cause that's, I am going to admit that's like the, the only directors that I've seen multiple of these sure. movies of. And I thought of, um, hold on. Is it Lisa and the devil? Lisa and the devil, not a Jallo. See, that's, that's what I thought. But then you talk, started to talk with this female thing. It's the same story of this woman, feeling right. like she's going crazy and trying to figure out what's going on. So in that way I was like, okay, maybe it is. It's in that, like a lot of times, um, the Jallo movies, especially later on in the, in the cycle, they started to kind of infuse with different genres as mm-hmm. well. So like, um, you know, Suspiria is a kind of, it, it is not a like, structurally it's a giallo because it's a woman who is trying to figure out who's murdering these friends basically. And it's like, it's kind of a mystery. It's sort of a, uh, but it's also, and you know, a couple people get killed with a knife and a, in a, uh, what do you remember call it? Like glove clad, um, bad guy, right. but it's also supernatural. So like, so it's using the trappings of a giallo, but it's a supernatural kind of horror movie. Okay. So, so does the supernatural generally then keep things from being often? Yeah. Giallo? Most okay. of the time, uh, most giallo are, um, straightforward kind of murder mysteries or psychological thrillers or sexy kind of like, uh, psychosexual thrillers and stuff like that. Thriller, thriller and mystery are actually more of the, hmm. the common go to, um, like sub genre, you know, genre tie ins. But, uh, so I guess we'll, let's just jump to 1970 is a huge year. So the, a lot of these movies are, are coming out, um, in 1968 through 1970 that kind of, um, have this, uh, what I was talking about, like the female centric kind of, um, weird stories. Um, Lucio Fulci, um, does a, does a movie in 1969 called one on top of the other, which is shot in San Francisco and is basically kind of vertigo. Like it's, <clears throat> Uh, a guy's wife dies and then he starts seeing this woman who is much more glamorous, but it's like clearly still the same woman. It's weird. I don't think of Lucio Fulci as the type that, you know, rip off American uh, movies. You never think that. That's not, that's not the Fulci I know is what I'm saying. Can you Uh, talk a second about how (laughs) these movies all have great titles? Yes. (laughs) The sweet body of Deborah. I can't get over this. Oh, listeners, I wish that you could have seen the physical (laughs) reaction that Kyle just had. I have lists and lists of these titles and I would love to just read them all to you. Um, Works for me. So, yeah, because we already talked about, uh, so Umberto Lenzi, who I mentioned earlier, uh, he did Orgasmo. And then he did one called right after that called so sweet, so perverse, (laughs) which uh, also has Carol Baker in it and uh, Jean-Louis Trintignant, who I like quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then he did. And I'm just going to read Lindsay's because I'm not going to talk too much about Lindsay. Otherwise, Uh, a a quiet place to kill. Oasis of fear. (laughs) 
seven bloodstained orchids, <laughs> knife of ice, spasmo, oh. and eyeball. Now, here's a funny thing about the movie. Now, hang on. Sorry. Those last two are two. Se- it's not Spasmo and Eyeball. And eyeball. No, two, two separate movies. Italian, <laughs> Italian cops. Spasmo. I was going to say. Spasmo yeah. and Eyeball. TMNT villains. Um, <laughs> um, eyeball. Uh, I, that's the American kind of English language title. The Italian title is uh, Red Cats in a Glass Maze. Why would you change that title? <laughs> that's great. But it is about somebody stabbing eyeballs. So. Oh, okay. So our... I don't want to jump ahead to modern day Jalo, but these crazy titles are reminding me, and I can't, th- I can't think of the director pair. But they made the strange color of your body's tears yes. uh, and uh, uh, let the corpses tan. These yes. are Jalo titles, at least, right? Yeah, those, those are, they're a, uh, they're a Belgian um, okay. filmmaking couple, Katetan uh, Forzani, and they. Uh, are huge. They they use Jalo. They basically make Jalo movies. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to know what a Jalo movie is, they basically take the style and turn it up to seventy five thousand. Yeah. Um, and and don't do much with the plot. It's almost all style and kind of like substance or uh, subtext and stuff like that. So those are interesting newer versions of the same type of thing. Okay. Strange Color of Your Body's Tears is a nightmare, but it's mm-hmm. like really beautiful and weird and yeah. stuff like that. I love Let the Corpses Tan. Let the Corpses Tan is really good too, but that that also uses some of the like. Uh, spaghetti western tropes too oh right yeah and yeah. um there's another genre which i'll talk about a little bit which kind of intersects with the jello which are basically cop thrillers like after dirty mm-hmm. harry came out in 71 sure. they started making a bunch of cop thrillers which are called polizioteschi which basically just means police adjacent or like pol- <laughs> being about police um and those were um sometimes there would be jello but the, the, the police-ish yeah coming to ABC this fall. <laughs> there's like there's a movie called um, uh, Black Belly of the Tarantula which is about somebody who, who kills kills women um, by in like shooting injecting uh, venom into their neck so that they are paralyzed but awake and alive <sighs> and then cutting their stomachs open the same way that a specific uh, scorpion kills tarantulas so that's the whole thing. And now that one almost isn't like it's in every way it's a giallo, but the main character Giancarlo Giannini is a, is an actual police officer. And that is almost never the case in a giallo. The police are almost always incredibly inept or just not around. And the, the actual hero is uh, not a police officer at all, but is a, a an amateur like who's basically taken it upon themselves to try to solve this case. He is and indeed pol- police adjacent. It is police adjacent. Okay, so, so, so that's an interesting kind of. I uh, think yeah, interesting. To the, the the thing that I'm gathering in terms of using this episode of the podcast to disabuse disabuse people of their notions about mm-hmm. or Amer- Americans of their notion about what Jallo is, I guess it's, it's it is a. a uh, a huge nationwide conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, everyone, yeah. Um, I mean, they talked about it in the most recent democratic debate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. It seems like people's what they, when they think of Jallo, they're thinking more about style. Yeah. And what you're saying is that the Jallo genre is more about narrative convention. It, and that's how it started. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like it's sort of like film noir is a style, mm-hmm. but it's also, but like, yeah, it's basically hard boiled detective or, you know, there are different types of, but it's, I think they're very similar in a lot of ways because like people can look at a movie and say it's a film noir. Like you, you can mm-hmm. tell and, and Jalo is kind of the same way. Like it has, but there are some, it depends on the director really too. Like there are some directors who are really kind of more naturalistic in their, in their approach. Um, but, the movies are still stylish because that was Italy at the time. And so that was the other thing I wanted to bring up is that 
um, once we get into the late 60s and especially into the early 70s, the, the censorship laws in Italy started really relaxing. And so they could show more gore and a lot more sex. And um, it was cool. And it was like, you know, uh, you could show these kind of glamorous people doing leaving kind of jet setting lives. Um, which was not the way that it had been only about a decade or so before. Um, and so that became another part of, uh, especially the early Jallo is, is like the kind of travelogue, you know, and a lot of them actively were like, we let's not shoot in Italy because that's not cool. So let's go to anywhere else. And so there was a bunch shot in like, you know, Greece or Spain or, um, uh, tons in London because, uh, these Jalla movies need to get sold elsewhere. And so they would need to sell them to Germany and Germany would often retitle them Edgar Wallace things, which had nothing to do with them <laughs> and, and like toss on, uh, the narration at the beginning by the fake Edgar Wallace, even though they have nothing at all to do with, with Edgar Wallace stories at all. I had a question and there might not be an answer. Um, but, as I have been in a position to lecture more about genre and what genre is, it's very easy to talk about stylistic tropes and story tropes. Uh, but myself, I've become a lot more interested in why, like why do certain things connect with the audience and with the filmmakers, um, and writers. So for example, let's go back to the idea of this, this police adjacent character. Um, is is there like a sort of a consensus as to why that character seems to work more than an actual cop? Like why why wasn't it ever an actual cop who's just maybe a little bit offbeat or something like that? Well, let's let's uh, as a way to answer this, let's talk okay. about uh, Dario Argento's first sure. movie, which is also his first Jallo, which is 1970, which was uh, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, which mm-hmm. is the most famous and most popular Jalo movie. It is the movie that sent the entire genre into another, uh, direction. It's, it's the one that he really is the one who brought the Hitchcock meets kind of like early horror, um, uh, element together to create these kind of like scary murder mysteries. Um, and this movie became so popular that the boom basically occurred in 1971 and 1972, there were like, I don't know the exact answer, like 80 or 90 Jallo movies that came out. Like wow. anybody who directed movies had to basically had to do. I mean, it was the same with spaghetti Westerns. Like as the spaghetti Western was dying in the early seventies, the Jallo kind of like shot up crazy. And so there were people like Sergio Salima is an example who made a bunch of spaghetti Westerns, but then had to make a Jallo. You know, and and like, but then you see like Fulci had to make a few spaghetti westerns, but then found his footing in, um, in horror and Jallo as well. So, um, the Bird with the Crystal Plumage is 1970, and it uh, it is one of the first ones that is like, no, let's let's set it in Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where I, the filmmaker, live. Um, but it's about an outsider. Uh, it stars Tony Masanti, who's an American actor, as a writer who's just living in Rome. He's basically. Uh, impotent, uh, both creatively and and thus physically, and so he's basically he's live he's been living in Rome to write his next book and can't think of anything, and he's basically just taking really low end jobs writing uh, bird watching books in order to make ends meet. <laughs> and his girlfriend is uh, played by uh, English actress Susie Kendall, who ended up being in a bunch of these movies too. Um, is just kind of like, hey, you know, like what are we doing? And so he he's like. Um, 
taking a walk one night and he passes by this art gallery which has a big like glass window and the lights are all on it's all white in there and he sees a, a man in a black you know um, raincoat and hat struggling with this woman and he, he comes up and he tries to help and the woman gets stabbed and then the guy runs away and but shuts our, our guy our you know Tony Musanti's character between these two um, pieces of glass so he's stuck and this woman is bleeding and he's trying to get help and he's trying to but it's like soundproof glass or whatever so one of, this is one of Argento's still like one of his most famous sequences um, because it's literally just about a guy witnessing a crime that he can't do anything about it mm-hmm. and so then he becomes fixated on I know I saw something when I was when I saw this happening and I need to figure out what it is and so then he starts working with the police and they kind of bring in the usual suspects and stuff like that and it kind of goes into a bunch of different directions and um, but so he is the the quintessential outsider character which is actually kind of a film noir trope as well um, he does not belong in that country he does not belong in that type of job like mm-hmm. he should not be the one investigating this but it's like I saw something right. and that that becomes a huge part of these these uh, <clears throat> male jallos basically which are uh, which Argento would do almost exclusively which is like somebody saw something that our eye saw something that nobody else knows and I need to just remember what it is and memories obviously I think I read recently up to like 50% of our memories are not what they were not mm-hmm. actually what happened mm-hmm. so memory is the least like like usable thing in a crime um, but it, it ended up proving that movie ended up proving to be incredibly successful and then the next year in 1971 he directed two more Jalo movies um, the next one is called The Cat of Nine Tails in which um, James Franciscus is a um, an Italian reporter and uh Carl Malden plays a blind um, puzzle maker. He basically makes um, uh, what you would call it uh, uh, crossword puzzles. Oh, okay. Mm, okay. I was going to say like, he's got a and his granddaughter or niece, I forget, or daughter even, uh, who's super young, like uh, gets uh, kidnapped by the the bad guy, but. Carl Malden heard something yeah. so it becomes like you know doing uh, trying to figure out what happened that way um, and that one to me that one is like uh, looks the most to me like an American production that, that I think Argento ever did there's a lot of gore there's more gore in it than you'd expect but it's still kind of not so much yet and then the next movie after that was Four Flies on Grey Velvet um, which starred uh, it's a little more punk rock the same year but it, they could not look more different. Is there, we talked about the different tropes of Jalo. Is there a syllable minimum for the title? <laughs> it sounds not like, usually. It sounds like four is as low as you get. <laughs> yeah. That, and for, I don't know why that is either. I mean, I think Italians just like kind of like using a ton of words for whatever reason. And a lot of times, like we'll see later on, when they would kind of get made. The, the Italian titles would be super long, but the the American or English titles would be like Eyeball or Spasmo <laughs> or whatever. It's really, really short. Um, but those three movies would uh, are collectively known as the Animal Trilogy because they each have animals in the name, and they almost have nothing to do with those animals. <laughs> um, but that became such a popular thing that a ton of Jallo after this all had animal titles too. Mm-hmm. So you had like Iguana with the Tongue of Fire um, <laughs> and awesome. Black, uh, Black Belly of the Tarantula and um, uh, there's a million and a half. Oh, uh, Lizard in a Woman's Skin which is uh, 
uh, another Lucio Fulci movie, which is super good. Like, and actually, he did another one too right after that called "Don't Torture a Duckling." Um, <laughs> I've heard of that. Don't, Don't Torture a Duckling is basically Mystic River. <laughs> it <laughs> is. It is about somebody in this kind of provincial um, Italian town who is murdering children. And um, uh, Thomas Millian is this uh, reporter who comes to town and he teams up with like this uh, rich socialite woman who is in the in the sticks basically to to dry out like she's a mm-hmm. she's a lush and kind mm-hmm. of was in some trouble with the, the paparazzi or the uh, the tabloids. And so the two of them kind of try to figure out this this mystery plot while at the same time everybody in this provincial town thinks that the local gypsy woman must be the problem. And so there's there's a huge thread in that movie of the the locals like like persecuting this woman who is basically just a poor woman living by herself but because she is uh, of a different religious background and kind of does is is uh has kind of wiccan kind of tendencies they eventually i mean spoilers they beat her to death on the side of a road and nobody mm. does anything about it oh. it's uh that one is not a fun movie mm. i will say it's it's great it's a tuber it, uh, don't touch her duckling is excellent but it is not fun yeah um but yeah it sounds like a lot of these are fun some of them are a lot of fun and some of them are you know like have a like a twinkle in their eye like they're they're kind of like um they're having fun scaring you like Argento especially like loves to scare people. Um, uh, and it's very clear that like uh, he, he, he is a, uh, uh, an acolyte of Hitchcock. Like he absolutely adores Hitchcock. Um, and, and Hitchcock, as we all know, had a lot of fun like playing with suspense for mm-hmm. people. Well, to, um, and I know I've offered a, a, a couple of explanations, but what is your, can you succinctly, uh, put a, your finger on why people think Jalo movies are horror movies. Well, a lot of them are horror movies. And I think that, and, and Argento is the one who kind of, um, spearheaded that like, um, the, and, and his are the ones that became the most famous over here. And also, I mean, Bava's did too, a little bit Bava in the, in 1970 directed two other, uh, Jalo movies, straight up Jalo movies, hatchet for the honeymoon, which is basically about a guy who is, uh, crazy and uh, has to. I th- what is it? He he dresses up uh, in a, a bride a bridal gown to murder people. So it's crazy. Um, and then that is he, the worst garment. Yeah, if you're going to murder it's someone, so restrictive. <laughs> um, and then he also directed this one, Five Dolls for an August Moon. Um, which I mean, I love it. Uh, I like. They're both long titles and confusing right. and they yeah, have nothing to do with it and don't really mean anything <laughs> yeah. but um that one's interesting because it's it's basically uh you know an agatha christie like kind mm-hmm. of uh, t- uh almost called it the bad the the, the 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 less pc version of uh and then there were none oh yes yeah the, not the horrible one not the real but, but the, the, the middle one that's still yeah. pretty bad um <laughs> yeah uh, but what's great about that one is uh, he that was another one where he was brought in last minute to replace a director who sucked and uh, he didn't want to make that movie he didn't like the script so he, he rewrote what he could and so he goes out of his way in that movie not to show you any murders like mm. you it's just people stumbling upon already dead bodies mm. and and then just going hmm and then it immediately cuts to these people hanging the bodies they find in a meat locker. Ooh. And then they're just standing there. Cause they're all these rich, horrible, nasty people. Uh, it's tremendous. Um, but then in 1971, he directed one called, 
a movie that has a thousand and one titles. Uh, you may have heard of it as A Bay of Blood. Okay. Uh, yeah. uh, it's also uh, called Carnage, which is not a particularly great title. My favorite of the titles is Twitch of the Death Nerve. Oh, I've heard of that. Twitch yes. of the Death Nerve is excellent. But it's, it's basically... Uh, an inheritance plot type of thing it's all these people this woman who owns this basically owns a bay basically like uh, it's a, a vacation spot uh, she gets murdered and then her admittedly hu- that is also where she just keeps her blood correct in that <laughs> it's bay. all right yeah. there um, she gets murdered at the beginning by her husband and we see it happen and then the husband immediately gets murdered by somebody that we don't see hmm. and so then all these people show up who have like a, a, a case to base be like well, I should have this now and uh, in um, Luigi Pastilli's in it and uh, Claude, uh, Claudine Auger is in it a bunch of Italian and or um, uh, European actors that you've seen uh, a million times but that movie uh, a ton uh, four or five different sequences were taken for Friday the 13th part two oh enough. okay yeah so there's like because uh, whoever the killer is is going around with like a a, a boat hook, basically um, hacking people up and stabs two people having sex through the back with a spike. Like uh, it's all stuff that later no, got used in Friday the Thirteenth. Off topic. Friday the Thirteenth Two is the non hockey mask one. That's the that's, that's the, the bag head. That's the bag head one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of the better ones. That but one. it's also weird that it just took them until the third movie. To be like, I guess people really responded to that hockey mask. We should go back, right? Well, there was no. Was there's the no first, hockey mix in the first one either. No, no. Well, there's the thir- no Jason. The, in the, first the, one. Well, the third no one, yes, but okay. is when the, the character Shelley, yeah. I believe, uh, the, the the camp trickster. Yeah. So he wears a hockey mask to try to scare people. Yeah. Even though it's not like he's oh. acting like he's Jason. Okay. Uh, Jason, Jason kills, kills Shelley and puts the on the hockey mask, and that really connected. See, in my mind, with it was a hockey mask in the first one. Then it went to a bag head, and then they were like, let's go back to... Yeah, there was uh, there was nothing like in the when, first uh, one. We don't see any representation of the killer until mm-hmm. it's revealed, right. right, in the first one? No, yeah. It's yeah. just hands or NPOV shots, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, full disclosure, uh, I've never seen a Friday the 13th movie. Oh. They're not great. Okay. They're not very good. <laughs> Some of them have their moments. Uh, Two and four, I think, are Dece. Like, if you're going to watch a, an okay. 80s slasher movie, those are... I, I apologize for saying Dece, but... Yes, I appreciate that. Uh, hey, we, we're running out of time. You can't say the whole word. Right. You can't say all I know. of all if, of these words. Yeah. If you're going to say all these Giallo titles, <laughs> you gotta, easily you gotta 65% of else. this episode I'm is going to be I'm going to go that. incredibly quickly now. Okay. Uh, okay. Good idea. Be through some stuff. So other directors that I think are worth checking out. Um, uh, the, the Jalo boom in the, in the early seventies produced a lot of really interesting films by a lot of really interesting filmmakers. So my favorite, um, with you've got, your, you got Bava Argento and Luke, uh, Fulci who are the, the big three. Like those are the big three that everybody knows of Italian horror and also Jalo. Like, but not all of their films are Jalo. And no. I think, so that's more of where the confusion comes in. Right. Exactly. Okay. Um, uh, Fulci's I, Fulci's Jalo are great, um, and I think a lot of his horror movies suck wad. Like they're really bad, <laughs> um, or just and just schlocking. Like he doesn't give a shit. But um, uh, those ones that I mentioned, uh, in addition to the Psychic from 1977, um, and uh, really really excellent stuff. Um, my favorite of the Jalo directors is actually uh, who just did straight up Jalo movies uh, is Sergio Martino. Now his his brother. Uh, Luci- Luciano Martino was a film producer. Uh, Sergio Martino ended up being a uh, uh, second unit director and then eventually started making his own movies. Uh, his first Jalo was 1971's The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, 
this all of Martino's Jolly were written by Ernesto Gastaldi and a okay. lot of his other movies too. They, they're they're a great partnership. Um, Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward is about a woman who. Uh, uh, played by Ed, Edvige Fennec, who is a, a an Algerian um, uh, Maltese kind of actress, gorgeous woman, giant um, like uh, expressive eyes, big uh, dark hair, and she becomes basically the queen of the Jallo, even though she only did five, I think, hmm. um, five or six. Um, but she's a she's a young housewife who has like. A complicated sexual past, basically, and so then somebody from her past shows up and tries to blackmail her and all this stuff, and like she's got a husband, but then this lover and all this stuff. It's it's a really complicated, twisty plot, which is what Gastaldi did really well. Um, uh, and so that set a, a a new kind of example for the opposite of an Argento movie, which is like very uh, even though there's murders going on, it's very about. Um, the the kind of damaged psyche of this this woman. Uh, the next one that Martino made was uh, the case of the Scorpion's Tale, which did not have Edward Fennec in it, uh, but it did have George Hilton, who was this Ar- uh, Argentinian actor who was in a bunch of these movies too. Uh, and that one is basically uh, like a, a straight up and down whodunit mystery where, and it kind of has a, a psycho element because there's a there's a character hmm. who gets inheritance because a plane explodes and her husband's on it, and so she gets his uh, like million dollar life insurance, and, and then the police start thinking that she somehow had something to do with the plane exploding, which is a kind of a weird thing to think, but like the evidence sort of points to that, and then she gets killed, and uh, George Hilton is the insurance investigator who has to then put together everything, and there's there's a there's a jet setting element to that. The one right after that is called All the Color. Of the Dark, which which brings Edwidge Fennec back. This one I, I love. It's set in England, and it uh, it's the same type of thing where she has a lurid past, which has to do with um, uh, a Satanist kind of like um, sex cult, basically, like like you would. Um, and then a guy chasing her, this blue eyed uh, guy played by uh, Ivan Rasimov, who was in a bunch of these movies, who always played the same kind of character. Um, uh, chasing her and kind of driving her insane. Uh, there's another movie, kind of an offshoot, which had all the same people in it, except Sergio Martino didn't direct it, but his brother Luciano produced it. Uh, Gastaldi wrote it, and all the same actors are in it. And that one is called The Case of the Bloody Iris, which is kind of just an offshoot. It may as well be a Martino movie. Um, then, in 1972, same year as All the Colors of the Dark, we have Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only I Have the Key. Oh, man. <laughs> which is so fucking rad. That's great. Um, it, it's, and that one, he goes a completely different direction. It's 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 Rebecca, okay. Um, because Luigi Pastilli is this rich um, Italian author uh, who is obsessed with his mom, uh, who is dead, and there's just a picture of her, and uh, there's this dress, this like lavish gown that he makes his wife wear, and it's fucking nuts. Um, <laughs> but but it's also an adaptation of uh, Edgar Allan Poe's The Black Cat. Oh, in addition to being. Okay. Um, and Edward Fennec is in it, but she doesn't show up until like about halfway through. Um, uh, Anita Strindberg, who is this uh, uh, Swedish actress, um, kind of plays the the slowly fraying um, uh, wife of this horrible man mm-hmm. who has these like parties with hippies and stuff like that, oh, and and like openly cheats on her and stuff, and abuses her quite a bit. But then his like niece through marriage or whatever, through a different marriage shows up and that's Edvige Fennec. And she basically like, uh, uh, not unlike Lady Abelie kind of 
it's like, why don't we fucking bump him off? He sucks. And so there's this whole awesome thing going on. And then in 1973, he made a movie called Torso. Oh, okay. Yes. Torso, uh, which has the Italian title. Uh, uh, I don't want to read the whole thing, but it basically, <laughs> Wait, it, can it, I see your notes? yeah, it's, it's long. I corpi presenti tracci di Valencia Carnali, which basically means uh, the body showed signs of sexual violence. (laughs) Now, but here's the great thing. Sergio Martino tells a story about this movie and he's like, that was the producer's title. That is not what we wanted to call it. They're the ones who put, who wanted to call it. The body showed signs of sexual violence. Our initial title was the body does not show signs of sexual violence. (laughs) (laughs) And that's actually a part of the movie is like somebody is murdering these women and hacking them up, but not raping them. And everyone thinks that's so weird. Um, but torso is basically, so we did have a knife after all. Yeah. (laughs) That's yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie we'll do a kung fu movie the other time uh, some other time but master of the flying guillotine oh, yeah. yeah we watched there's it for a, movie night once did, yeah. yes there's a character named wins without a knife and what do you know he, he used a knife <laughs> I forgot about that guy. and uh, yeah oh boy he really throws people off because they because you know they watched the, the the films of him fighting and they're like okay okay i now definitely know he does i don't need to worry about any kind of knife defense there's no way he has a knife exactly um, i appreciate him giving me the heads up with his name um, um, but torso is a is a proto slasher movie um, almost da- down to the point where like there is sort of the element of uh, the people who get killed are the kind of are the women who get killed. It's a sorority house, basically, mm-hmm. uh, are the kind of more promiscuous ones. And the, the, the final girl who, who is who doesn't show any of the like strength of the final girl. Mm-hmm. She ends up having to get saved by a dude. But. Um, is the chaste one, the one who uh, hurts herself and doesn't go out to the parties and stuff like that. Um, Torso is really fascinating and has like an amazing final act where it's just the killer and the woman basically in this house in the country. Um, and then uh, that's the last straight up and down Jallo that Martino made. But then in 1975, uh, he had started making just straight uh, Poliziotesky like action cop movies. But then his, his 1975 movie, the suspicious death of a minor, um, uh, brings is both. It's basically it's about. He wanted to call it the cut and dry case of the death of the minor. So yeah, fucking studios, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, Martino. I love Martino's movies uh, almost more than anybody else's. So now I'm just going to go through. I'm just going to name filmmakers and the titles of okay, the movies okay. they made. I, I, I do have a final question or two. Yes. Um, Luciano Ercoli, who who started out as a producer, he made Three Jolly. Uh, all uh, starring or co-starring his wife, who, the Spanish actress, who in these movies goes by Susan Scott, but her real name is Nieves Navarro. Uh, the first one is called The Forbidden Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion. Uh, the second one is Death Walks on High Heels. And the third one is Death Walks at Midnight. Um, yeah, uh, but what, what's it wearing? <laughs> what is the um, Are uh, those... Is that, is this third one a sequel to the second one about uh, death? sort okay. of other no actually they they have nothing to do with each other um, other than just being okay. um, starring Susan Scott all three of those were written by our man Ernesto Gastaldi he rocks uh, Massimo Dalamano made one called a black veil for Lisa which I actually haven't seen in 1968 but then he made uh, one of these ones that got kind of tarred with the Edgar Wallace title uh, or uh, tag uh, what have you done to Solange. <laughs> 
And now Solange isn't mentioned for a long time into the movie. Mm-hmm. So you're sitting there going, what did anyone do to Solange? Yeah. And who is Solange? <laughs> what did the writers do to Solange? Cut, uh, <laughs> cut him or her out. I don't know if it's a male or female name. Uh, it's lady. Okay. Solange is a woman. It's a lady. Yeah. Um, and, so, and, then oh, he, yeah. and then he made a Poliziotesky kind of hybrid uh, after that called, what have you done to, what have they done to your daughters? Wow. And that one's rough. And um, sounds like it. So then I already mentioned uh, Ricardo Freitas, uh, the Iguana. Wait, is that, okay. Because there's also a movie that came out that Scorpion put out a year or two ago that has a bunch of names. One of them is like Red Circles or something like that. Do you know the... That one uh, was meant to be the third in Massimo D'Alemano's like kind of okay. what have they done to yeah. trilogy, but then he died. Yeah. Um, and so then, yeah, uh, Russo, Ring, Ring, Ring of Fear or Ring of yeah. something, Red Rings of Fear, I think yes. it's called. And um, I will take this opportunity to say avoid that movie. It sucks. It's, it's so ugly. It's so gross. It yeah. So, yeah, the things you were saying about 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 Torso and, and the sort of being exploitative and like this movie is that times 10. And that's it's, the thing, too. I hated, one, the, I hated that movie. The, the kind of 1970 to 1972, kind of early 73 Jallos, there's a mix of horror. There's, you know, and there's obviously some sex, a lot of violence and stuff like that in those. And some of them are in better taste than others. But once you get further into the 70s, especially uh, once you get to 75, it's just sleaze. It's just a yeah. sleaze fest, basically, mm-hmm. from there until the end of the um, cause there's a movie in 75, Andrea Bianchi's strip nude for your killer, <laughs> which, heard of that which ended up being the last Jallo that, uh, Edwidge Fennick ever made. Um, she's only known kind of over here for that. She went on to just do like, um, body comedies basically, which don't translate well at all over mm-hmm. here. So mm-hmm. we don't get them a lot. Um, a movie I really think is great. It was made in 1976. Um, who is a guy who, um, was uh, a contemporary of Pasolini. He, he made a movie called the house with laughing windows, which hmm. is super hard to find, but I, you were, you can maybe find it on, uh, like a tube site, for you, <laughs> sure. um, which you can actually find quite a lot of these. On One there. of your tube sites. One of your tube sites, um, which is about a guy who goes to a small town. He, he like restores frescoes, frescoes, mm-hmm. I guess on, in like churches. And, um, there's he goes to restore this one and he thinks it is a depiction of the uh, martyrdom of St. Sebastian. But then he starts finding evidence that the person who painted it like staged actual like horrific tortured sequences just to paint. And so there's like the town has been covering it up. It's a fascinating and weird. That sounds awesome. very Lynchian film. Um, there's this guy, uh, Emilio Moralia who made two, but both of his are kind of like Gothic horror infused. The first one is called the, uh, the night Evelyn came out of the grave. Ooh, which is like, is she a zombie? Is she a ghost or is it a trick? Like it's, it's that type of movie. Um, uh, and that one stars uh, Anthony Steffen, who is basically the 70s Italian Mads Mikkelsen. Like he just it's, <laughs> it's very and, specific and as creepy. Um, and then the second one, uh, uh, which I like a lot more, is called The Red Queen Kills Seven Times. Um, <laughs> it's another one that gives you the yeah, uh, and tells you right up front. Um, you Aldo, can like check off the yeah. the deaths as they uh, Aldo Lado made two that I love. One is called Short Night of Glass Dolls, which is basically uh, that that old film noir DOA where oh, basically yeah, yeah. the guy's already dead. Um, it's sort of that where the the main character is in a coma or they think he's dead, but he's actually paralyzed, and so he he's relaying how he got to this point. Um, 
and it's it's a twisty turny kind and of his thing. girlfriend thinks he's dead so she kills herself yeah. no it's, it's, all, it's a, a real tragic thing <laughs> um, and then he also made one called who saw her die which is um which was set in venice it stars george lazenby which is uh, hmm. in 1972 it was the first thing he did after he took you know he kind of lost his mind a little bit after um uh on her majesty's secret service he looks super gaunt in this movie but hmm. he's great and he's basically he plays a father uh, of a murdered daughter and he's trying to find out and he's a sculptor he has no business like um, investigating um, but that he's super good um, in that movie um, that's uh, there's another one uh, Luigi Bazzoni's The Fifth Chord um, stars Franco Nero as, a, as an mm-hmm. alcoholic uh, reporter who's basically and that's like the Argento movie that Argento didn't make okay. um, a lot of that same but then you get to 1975 uh, with Dario Argento's Deep Red which is Maybe the, his best movie, maybe the best kind of, you know, example of what a giallo can be, mm-hmm. um, stars David Hemmings as a, a, mm. a jazz um, musician who witnesses a murder and then thinks he remembers. So like, it's, it's all the, he's yeah. basically just doing his own greatest hits. But this is the very first. Um, and Hemmings himself had already been in a movie kind of like that. That's why he was the, cast. Okay, yeah. I was wondering. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, Blow Up was kind yeah. of a, a progenitor to okay. the, the thing. But um Deep Red or uh, Profondo Rosso is the very first score. Um, uh, uh, Morricone did a bunch of scores for these, mm. and uh, people like Stelvio Cipriani and, and Bruno um, Bruno Nicolai did a bunch, and they're great. But um, Deep Red is the first time Argento works with uh, Goblin, mm-hmm. and uh, that music fucking rules. I was, I was, that's the first thing you said because I've never seen Deep Red, but I have listened to the. It's on Spotify. I've it's to the so soundtrack. fucking good. It's yeah. really cool. Claudio Simonetti yeah. is the is kind of the uh the the main figure in goblin and he did a bunch of really great music um and then really after that the jello kind of starts to fade away and you know sometimes people would make another one argento was kind of the only one who continued to make them you know he made suspiria which we talked about earlier is not really one but it kind of uses that then he made inferno which is just a straight up and down supernatural movie that movie didn't do very well um and so then in 1982, he makes Tenebrae, um, which is, or Fear, I guess, or something like that, um, which is uh, about a uh, murder author, or murder author, a mystery author who somebody is murdering people based on his books, and so he, of course, goes and, and tries to investigate. That movie has some crazy, like, camera stuff, and like, there's a part where these two lesbians get murdered in their house, and the camera like starts out the window, and then for no reason just goes up and over the roof, and then. <laughs> goes in another window like it's crazy um and it's incredibly gory because by this point the friday the 13th movies and and, right. and american slasher movies are super gory and so gore is just like we need that and so like the kind of the sexier elements kind of go away there's obviously some nudity in a lot of these movies because you needed that too but there there's like the sensuality of a lot of the early jello was completely gone um they're not i would never call like any of these movies in the 80s sexy at all but they are but they're but they're violent that's the mm-hmm. that's the whole point and there's sexual violence in a lot of these too uh lucio Fulci's 1982 movie the new york ripper i fucking hate because okay. it is the most mean-spirited thing i've ever hmm. because there is somebody who for some reason talks like donald duck like that's he calls up the cop and is like <laughs> it's awful and it's terrifying but he goes and just like like and, and it's very graphic let's just say that he does a lot of graphically sexually violent things in that okay. movie hmm. and that is uh lucio Fulci kind of has a reputation for being misogynist and, and woman hating. And it's, and 
there's evidence. I mean, I've heard, uh, you know, different authors have kind of written about like he, he isn't, he was just an angry man who he wasn't like focusing, but that's the, the type of movie he was making. Right. Thing. But that movie sucks. I fucking hate it. Even though it's, it's like one of his most famous ones. Um, but Argento kept making, uh, you said opera. Yeah. Um, opera is excellent. I think it um, is. Yeah. It, um, it's but very, that was a pretty bloody, right? Super bloody. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Argento's ex-wife, uh, Dario Nicolodi got shot in that movie. She, she's in a ton of his movies. She, she gets shot through a keyhole out right. the back of her head. Yeah. <laughs> through her eye out the back of her head. Um, but the, the hook of opera, which I love. Yes. And which, because I know a lot of people have things about eyeballs. <laughs> it, the hook of opera is that this guy is killing. He's like obsessed with this opera star. Yeah. And so he is, he like, kills her friends in front of her but he like ties her up and he tapes needles under her eyes so she can't close her eyes Ugh. if she closes her eyes it'll the needles will poke her in the eye so he he's forcing her to watch her friends and family or whatever get murdered in front of her and, and she can't close her eyes because of the needles yeah it's uh it's pretty fucked it's, up it's, it's pretty tremendously great. fucked up yeah yeah um yeah yeah i'm like laughing as i say it. yeah. <laughs> it's a really awesome movie yeah so um I don't know if I've actually like answered much of like what, what makes a jello versus no, what I makes think, a horror movie. I think movie, you have my last question though is cause I mentioned basically is, is Italianness one of this, the crucial ingredients is anything that's not Italian, just a jello homage. Does it have to be Italian to be a jello? This is an interesting question because uh, there were quite a few, and I haven't listed any of these, but there were quite a few um, during this period, Spanish films that were doing the same thing that are Jello movies. Like they, they basically should be, but they either have a Spanish like producer and director or something like that, or were shot entirely in Spain. Paul Nashi, who is a kind of, um, uh, Spain's Boris Karloff, basically like he's self-appointed, um, <laughs> just did a bunch of, he did a bunch of werewolf movies. He did a bunch of all the different types of movies. He, he made a couple of Jellos. Uh, one is called, um, a dragonfly for each corpse. That one's a little more like a uh, Polizioteschi. And then he did one called, um, uh, house of psychotic women is one of the titles. And then I, I forget what the other one is called, but that one is, um, it's a Jalo movie. Like, but I don't think, I think it, your Europeanness is, okay. is inherent. Like, okay. I don't think because if it's American now, I will say this, I think Scream, the very first Scream movie, is a Jalo movie I that was, uses the trappings of a slasher movie for the meta narrative. But it is, by all accounts, a, a Jalo in, in my opinion. That is something that I have. Uh, well, I, I didn't attribute it to uh, Jalo, but for a long time, I have been saying that, like, yes, they officially it's a slasher movie, but it's also very much a whodunit. Yeah. Like well, completely. No, what, is, what is the thing about most slasher movies? We know who the bad guy is through all of them. It's, yeah. it's a monster. Basically it's a big, it's a big hulking brute who, and then there's a plot around that. Like Michael Myers, if you're lucky, right? Michael Myers, uh, uh, Jason Voorhees, um, Freddy Krueger, yeah. or, and then like a bunch of like the slumber party massacre. You literally see the guy's face the whole time. You yeah. don't know who he is, but you know that he's not, another guy like um, and the fact that masks play such a big role should tell you everything you need to know about yeah motivation isn't important 
like they, they literally just they're, they're not the villains aren't people right and so to try to ascribe any kind of human motive and try to figure out who they are and maybe we can there, there's no real sense of mystery right uh, the mask is is made to dehumanize the character yeah. which is more frus- which is more frightening for some people yeah but scream yeah I remember for a long time it's very it it definitely is scary in a, in a, in a horror yeah. way. And I think the fact that Wes Craven made it causes people to think of it as, as more of an overt horror. But I remember for a long time, I just thought like, we're trying to guess who of these people is the killer. That is yeah. not something you find in the vast majority of slasher movies. And I think that is kind of, that sort of maybe is what I, I think of when I think of a Jallo is it, is it, it's a, it's a Hitchcock kind of mystery coupled with, when you get later on like kind of uh, lavish murder set pieces like mm-hmm. usually crazy um, uh, over the top or um, just you know inventive ways of killing people and so that's kind of like but like I said like all those um, Martino movies that I mentioned Torso's the only one and maybe a little bit the case of the Scorpion's Tale that have like actual like you know who's the murderer like running mm-hmm. through the house stabbing people like the, the bulk of the Jallo that I find the most interesting are the ones that are kind of just psychological mm-hmm. or, or there is a murder, but that's not the interesting part kind of thing. But so, but then you can't argue that Argento is like a, a, a master of that type of like his version of a Jallo is, is a horror movie, mm-hmm. but not everybody's is. Well, and, but because if somebody were to ask me like, Hey, who are the big, as someone who's largely unfamiliar with Jallo, if someone were to ask me who are the big Jallo directors, I would say Dario Argento, Mario Bava. I probably wouldn't even say Lucio Fulci because I associate, associate him with a very specific type yeah. of horror. So I'd probably say just those two. And of the two, I think of Argento more and I think of him more as horror. And so as a result, I think there are a lot of people that to the degree that they might think of Jallo at all. There's like, Oh, Argento, so that's horror and maybe even a, a uh, supernatural type of horror in yeah. some cases. Uh, but that's not, but that's not what it is. You but know? he's, he's like, a, he's the outlier because Argento is right. the one who got really rich, really fast off of making Jalo movies. Mm. He, w- he and uh, Dario Nicolodi were a celebrity couple in, in Italy. They were like on the front page of magazines. They were super famous and mm. he was really, I mean, his dad was uh, Claudio Argento was a, uh, uh, also a fairly wealthy um, producer. So he kind of comes from that family, but like um, he, uh, <laughs> uh, he, what I forget, I was going to say something that somebody wrote about him was like, which is the same thing like Godard is as well. It's like, there's, there's the very particular type of uh, left wing person who comes from super rich family and mm-hmm. can afford to be, you can afford to be kind of reactionary, but anyway, so, but everybody else made, all fucking types of movies mm-hmm. like like we we may know them most for you know um, you know Martino's six Jallo movies are such a small part of the actual like output he's he's directed like 57 movies or something mm. like that and like all of these people just had to make these movies because they were this type of movies because they were so popular they were always going to make money and most of these people just needed to make money to continue their career and and um you know, like, but Argento was the one who had enough clout to be, uh, after his three initial Jello, he made like a, like a drama, I think like a historical drama, mm. which fucking flopped. And then he waited around and then he made deep red and that was a huge hit. And then he basically just kept 
when yeah. in a couple of years making a movie until the nineties when he made trauma, which is, uh, his first really shitty movie, which is like, uh, it is a Jallo set in and, um, produced in America. Uh, Brad Dorif is in it. Uh, Piper Laurie's in it. Oh, well, um, uh, but it, it's tonally you're definitely on your way by casting the two of yes, them. Yes, exactly. But it's um, bad. It's a bad movie, but I will say, so during the summer, uh, I teach for a program that deals with, uh, international students, but the only nationality I've dealt with is uh, Italians, like literally from Italy. And, I like and that you say dealt with instead of taught. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh, no, I teach them. The program deals with them. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And, um, good Lord, man. Oh man. Sorry. A, a masked murderer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, but yeah, uh, these students, they're, you know, 17 and 18. Uh, and you come to realize that just because somebody is from a country, that doesn't mean that they are, they're no better versed in the film of that country than people are versed in, right. you know, films of the forties and fifties, uh, made in the U S. Um, but they had all seen Suspiria. Um, that's, and they know who Dario Argento, Argento is. They know who Asia Argento is. Um, and so, uh, so like that, I feel like that says something when like these kids, like they admittedly, I, you know what? I think I might've actually asked, like, have you seen any other Dario Gentor movies? And the answer was no. Um, and so along those lines, I do know people that, uh, including, I think honestly, like my own mom, like when she thinks of Alfred Hitchcock, she thinks of him as a horror director right. because of psycho right. and, and probably the birds, like the two of those. Yeah. Meanwhile, those are, those are huge outliers in his, in his filmography. Um, I did, I know we have to wrap up, but I did want to talk very briefly about the impact of Giallo in, let's say, because you said there's a there's a Europeanness to it, so let's talk yeah. about the impact on American cinema. Um, because as as we've been talking, I've like thought of movies like American films that probably probably wouldn't qualify, but I can certainly see certain like some some of the aspects that you've been talking about of Giallo. I can see that in some of the some of these films. One is a terrible film that I became f- familiar with. Uh, thanks to cinematic Titanic called legacy of blood. Okay. And in true giallo fashion, it has, it took me a long time to look it up cause it's got like eight different titles, uh, appropriately. It has uh, John Carradine in it. Um, sure. and even, and it even has an Italian actor, uh, playing a sheriff, an American huh. sheriff and not doing it well. Um, it is a ridiculous movie, but it's, and it's, it, there's a whodunit quality. It's the, it's a f- well to do family, uh, staying in this large mansion removed from, uh, from society. Um, and then they are killed one by one. You're trying to figure out who did it. Um, but, uh, I know a lot of people have said the neon demon, uh, owes a lot of, at least of its imagery to Giallo. I I would agree with that. And then I'm reluctant to say it, but I, I wonder if silence of the lambs has a quality Mm. there. Um, there's and a, it's, it, there's, it's certainly a heightened tone. Yeah. There's a bit to it. I would say it's certainly in some of the, uh, um, the, the kind of more operatic aspects. Of sure. It. Sure. Yeah. I would. So can you sorry, think you of mentioned, it, Can either of you think of like any others, uh, that are certainly, uh, uh influenced by Giallo? Well, here's my, here's my question I was going to ask okay. because it sounds like obviously Hitchcock inspired a lot of 
the Jello filmmakers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is in turn family plot maybe inspired by Jello? Hmm. Did it's, it come full circle in a way? When was that? Seventy six. That's seventy five. Seventy five. So that's super possible and actually kind of frenzy almost is too frenzy frenzy is a really weird frenzy may as well be a jolly movie like yeah um the 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 strangling with a tie is something that you would definitely see in a jello hmm. for sure like you know um strangling in the jello is is one of the most like sensual because that's sure. the big thing like you know, hands gripping the neck of a, a fragile woman or whatever. No. Uh, that's, you'd see that in, mm. you know, it's more tactile more, and yeah, all that. More, yeah. And that's the thing about the leather gloves too, which, which, um, uh, Katet and Forzani use in, um, both strange, uh, color of your body's tears and also, uh, let the corpses tan where like when you, when the leather gloves kind mm-hmm. of make a noise, like it's sure. the, the loudest thing on the, uh, <laughs> so uh, it's, it's very fetishistic, super it's, fetishistic. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So this was a blast. I think going back to what Tyler said before, we should make this an annual Halloween series. Sure. Yeah. If you come back and talk about hammer horror Absolutely. next year. And then what do you, uh, you know, uh, a, a subgenre of Euro horror, Euro horror that, keeps popping up in my mind how much do you know about cinema fantastique I'm, and like jean roland which is the only main I director watched, that i know uh well there's but, jean, jean roland was uh the french one who did it uh there was um uh jesus franco yes uh, okay who or jess was a, franco or jess franco yeah it was a, a spanish director who was more prolific um and maybe better uh it depends on who you're asking um and then there's there's well, i mean but was he more pl- because General Land made a lot of movies. He made a ton, and most of them aren't very good, right? And but he actually, made some really good ones. What I think is really interesting is that both of them eventually made porn <laughs> because that's how you got to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. both a lot of their movies could be porn. Like they're basically a lot of General Land movies are uh, vampire movies. They're basically softcore vampire movies. Like yeah. so much of them. Some of them are really interesting. Like I yeah. think. Um, uh, oh, what's that one? There's a bunch of of the vampire. I think this one's yeah, Re- Requiem for the Vampire. I don't know if I've seen. Oh, maybe I have seen that one. That one's about these two girls who are basically on a crime spree, and then eventually, no, and then they not. get turned into vampires. And then um, I don't know if it's Howard Vernon. There's a German actor Howard Vernon um, who you might know from um, Silence de la Mer, which is a Melville movie. He basically he played a vampire in a ton of Franco movies and a ton yeah. of Roland movies. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a sub sub genre that really fascinates me, but I've only seen, I've seen a handful of genre yeah. maybe one or two Jess Franco movies and that's it. But then we should, we have two years to get ready next year. We'll do hammer. Sure. Two years from now. Okay. Everyone do your research. No. We'll do cinema. Yeah. Fantastic. I've seen maybe five of each. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, yeah, I'll have plenty of time. There is, there is an episode that I, that I was thinking about recently, but I'm not sure exactly how you would phrase it. Um, the idea of horror paired with other things. Like I was thinking, I mean, obviously a movie like alien is sci-fi horror, but then there are plenty of comedy horrors. I think of a movie like bone Tomahawk, which is a Western horror. And there are other, like, I feel like we did this episode a long time ago. I don't think so. No, not that you guys done many. (laughs) Okay. Uh, What is this is 657, eight, seven or eight. It was six, six, six. Oh no. Oh, we already have a plan for 666. Okay. I do not remember that plan. Oh, well, uh, I'll say it now because 666 happens to fall the week before Christmas, so we're going to do Christmas or Oh, there you go. Hey, that's fine. Right, that works well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, we might we might have done it, but I don't think so. Because like, it would have been one of our... conversation before yeah. about how horror... Like, like you said, 
alien is sci-fi horror, but aliens is action horror. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And well, action sci-fi horror. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, it's something that not unlike comedy. Uh, I do. I when talking to my students, and this is certainly not a new take, but I tend to associate horror and action because in both cases you're dealing with like involuntary responses, whether yeah. it be a laughter or a scream, and comedy can blend in with uh many other genres and categories just as horror can i think yeah um and that's what i think like jalo is is super malleable um as i've found i've at this point and thank god for letterbox because i can actually track stuff like this yeah i've I've seen 72 jalo movies um uh and None of them, like very few of them are the cut and dry. Cause when I first started watching them, I was expecting them all to be kind of like Argento, which they're not. And, mm-hmm. and so if you're watching, especially some of those late sixties ones, which have almost, almost no murder in them, you might go, oh, that's kind of boring. Like if, if you're in the right. mood for a slasher type or a, you know, a murder mystery, a body count movie, that's not what you're going to get. But there's a lot to each different type. Like, you know, the more, the more police heavy ones are interesting in their mm-hmm. own way. And then, you know, the, the kind of gothic tinged ones are, are interesting for, you know, their iconography and stuff like that. And, and the kind of, um, you know, and that's, that's part of what I really like about Sergio Martino is that all six of his are completely different. Like there's no two that are all that similar with the, maybe the exception of, um, strange vice of Mrs. Ward and, um, all the colors of the dark, but all the colors of the dark adds the cool Satanist stuff, which, which changes things up completely. So mm-hmm. I, I think that it's, it's much more fluid. Like you could say it's a horror movie. Most people kind of, I mean, that's, that's such a broad brush too, right. but like most people have a general idea of what to do, but Jalo can be horror or not mystery or not, like crime or not like it just it just depends on who's making it and certain little elements not generally stylistically but like um who, who's your main character hmm. if it's a police officer it's probably not a giallo hmm. but maybe it is because that's black <laughs> of the tarantula is a giallo so i don't know well this is that would say i think that's a great uh uh that's about as concrete as we're gonna get yeah. putting a button <laughs> on it thank yeah. you so much for being here um you can find us at battleshipretention.com. You can email us at david at battleshipretension.com or tyler at battleshipretension.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at davypretension. Normally I'd tell you what's on the website this week, but I literally have no idea because I've been gone for a week and a half. I don't oh, know what's well, on. we do have uh, a former classmate of mine uh, who is covering the Chicago International Film Festival. Right. Uh, so he's written a couple of, uh, of reviews. Um, our friend Dave Platt has written a review of The Lighthouse. And... Uh, uh, Jim is, uh, I, he might be done now, but he's been going through, uh, the films of Bong Joon, Bong Joon Ho over at, uh, I do movies badly. So there's a lot of good stuff going on. And Tyler, you're at, uh, on Twitter at Tyler pretension. Mm-hmm. Anything else to plug right now? So over more than one lesson, uh, we are, we've been posting like old episodes of the podcast that are horror related, but then over at, uh, the fear of God, uh, they recently interviewed notable horror actor, Bill Oberst Jr. Who, uh, I interviewed many years ago. He's like the nicest guy in the world. Uh, but, uh, so they interview him. And then I recently, it's, it seems so dumb to say it, but, uh, as part of my curriculum, uh, we watch citizen Kane. I've probably seen the movie like 20 times. Um, and for some reason, the most recent time that I watched it, it totally wrecked me and it got me looking inward and it really, uh, got me thinking about (laughs) 
being a better husband and a better person. And uh, so I wrote an article about that over at morethanonelesson.com. And uh, there's a, I reveal a lot about myself. So Ooh, if go you check that out. Yeah, check that out. Very, uh, uh, very lurid. And then, of course, uh, you can join the Patreon at patreon.com slash battleship pretension. Mm-hmm. It's uh, anywhere from two, five, or ten dollars a month. Gets you right. different uh, levels of, of access to, to material. It's a way to get some more great battleship pretension content and, uh, and uh, uh, support the show. And we have a fun and stupid uh, Patreon episode coming up. Oh, we really do. Oh, <laughs> I am very busy right now. Um, Kyle, where do people find you? Uh, you work? Find me on Twitter at Functional Nerd. You can find um, my my work on Nerdist.com. Uh, I am the senior editor there, and uh, that's fun. So we've been writing... Uh, I just went to beyond fest a few weeks ago and so there's a ton of i wrote about the tom atkins triple feature that they did um which mm. was super fun which was uh halloween three night of the creeps and the fog just cool. an amazing lineup uh i also got to see a couple new movies like the uh the girl on the third floor starring former wwe wrestler cm punk and uh uh the new richard stanley uh yeah lovecraft adaptation the color out of space starring nicholas cage which is a fucking trip um in a good way or a bad way in a good way okay cool um uh and so yeah there's uh you can find all my reviews there um and uh yeah tweet at me i guess if you want to well thanks again for joining us absolutely yeah thanks so much thank you for listening we'll get you next time boo This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.